so uh, I'll talk to you about how to keep an alien. You've done previous plays. So what did your last play give you for this? What did that contribute when you're going ahead to try and make this play? Uh, I suppose it's it's in a similar vein. Um, this how to keep an alien it, like wheelchair my face is it's an autobiographical narrative. So sort of dramatized version of real events that happened in my life, kind of highly influenced by radio documentary um, storytelling storytellers, the moth, uh, yeah. all those kind of things. Um, um, Spalding Gray, Tignataro, all those people who kind of fuse live performance sort of theatre narrative and, and stand-up. So um, um, uh, Wheelchair in My Face was a kind of a much more lo-fi uh, version. It was a story about uh, getting my first pair of glasses. There was only about seven sound cues in it. It was just me and some pop-up eye charts on stage and talking on my own about what it was like growing up in the 80s, needing glasses and not having them. And this one, How to Keep an Alien, is, is produced by Rough Magic Theatre Company um, it's got a proper set. It's got a lighting design. I think it's got about 70 sound cues. Um, so it's a, just a, it's a more judged up version, mm. except this story is about trying to get uh, an Irish visa for my Australian partner, Kate, to live in the country. Um, so, uh, and it involves having the stage manager um who would normally be backstage, he is on stage, he's operating the show and playing certain roles and um, okay. playing all the sound cues and sort of unpacking what somebody backstage would normally do, backstage but in front of the audience, kind of like a deconstructed sandwich, I guess, okay. in a way. So, did, you uh, find, did you find it easier uh, easier to get people on board after your success of the last time? Around? I think so. I think the, the, the planets aligned. I, I, I got a little <laughs> bit of money from the Arts Council to develop it on my own, and I, I, I did a draft, and then I, um, I, was, I didn't have a producer, but I was contacted by Colin Murphy. He's a, a journalist and playwright. He wrote Guarante the, the Guarantee and stuff like that, and he asked me to perform new material at his um, art space, the joinery. So I had written How to Keep an Alien as a one-person show, and I performed about half an hour's worth of, of text there. Um, but I'd asked Justin, the stage manager, to read in all the stage directions, and that's how he ended up being incorporated into the show. But in the audience that night was Rough Magic Theatre Company, the Dublin Fringe, and that's how the yeah. whole thing got started. Um, uh, the Rough Magic off offered to produce it based on what they heard, and the Fringe wanted to also produce it and put it into projects and take it to the Brisbane Festival. So it was one of those things where, you know, preparation meets opportunity, I guess. Mm. And, you know, normally when you're performing, you know when you're performing a one-person play, that's that's mm. got to be intimidating on the first couple of nights and you don't know if the material is just there, you're road testing You don't, no. I'm sure, but I'm sure, like... You've been on the comedy circuit for a while. Did that I, stand to you? I had been. And like I always say, the difference between theatre and comedy is theatre is nerves, comedy is fear. Because there are so many variables in stand-up when you're doing a gig. The person on before you, the person on who's headlining that they're all waiting for, that they want to see you, they want to see them, who's in the audience, uh, how drunk they are. There's so many things. <laughs> um, so after two or three years of kind of doing that circuit, I... Just and, and going back to sort of theatre audiences who are so much more polite and compliant and sober, um, mm. I was able to take <laughs> what I'd learned from one world and bring it into another, I guess. 
and like it's funny I'm not really on the comedy circuit anymore largely because I, I like to be in bed by 10 o'clock and um, <laughs> I just <laughs> it's just a lonelier world you get in a train you fly to Liverpool you sit in an Ibis you go to a club you do 15 minutes of material and then you go home again and theatre has a like with How to Keep an Alien there's um there's a lighting team, a production manager. There's it's Justin who's on stage with me, and there's just a sense. There's a greater sense of family, I guess, which I which I, I kind of prefer. Um, but definitely, I don't think I would have been able to do, do this style of performance in theatres for theatre or audiences without my experience on the, the stand-up circuit. Hmm. You know. And uh, again, you said the play that you're promoting now is semi-autobiographical. Did you find that hard at first to put on per paper? Uh. Yeah, you have parameters, you know. There are certain things, you know, you're talking about real people and real things that happen to real people, and you have responsibility to convey that with respect. And there are certain people who don't want to be involved in your life story that you have to weave a way around not including mm. but still make sense of the story. So, But I think having parameters is a great way to align your idea you know um and very often as well because this is is purely autobiographical um oh. telling your own story is a way of reminding people of their own and if you're if it's if it's broad strokes it's about love or it's about something like that it resonates with people and it, it, your story becomes their story too because they've felt those feelings and done those things um and i think that's one of the draws of the show i think as well that has a sense of empathy with the audience did you find this as a sort of therapy for you writing back? Um, yeah, I do. No, I guess when I we 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 spent quite a long time assembling. You have to assemble two years of documentary evidence um, in paper and hand it into the Department of Immigration. And I think the experience taught me a lot about Ireland and who's trying to get in and why. And sitting in the GNIB offices on Berkey and seeing all these people who are desperately trying to get into the country and um, just having a, being politicized by my own immediate needs and learning about direct provision and lots of things I really didn't know about Irish immigration policy before kind of going through this process. And um, just how funny life is, you know, you meet someone, they're from the other side of the world, and in order for that love to have any sense of real chance, it has to go through a bureaucratizing process, which is it's just it's just strange and ironic. So, um, it's strange I, how the red tape kind of trumps people. The red, a lot of red tape does trump people. And you'd be surprised the amount of people who've come up to me after the show saying, "Oh, I met someone a few years ago. We didn't know each other well enough, and then the visa ran out, and or they just didn't get to the other side of it." And, there's a, there is a sense of instrumentability about it that I suppose it is designed to really test whether people really want to go through with it or not. You know, mm -hmm. they don't hand them out very easily, no. and I think um, you you need to be a dotter of i's and crosser of t's, which I'm not, but I learned to be in order in order to to get the visa case. And you um, you struck well air it was hot here with the referendum, but was that on purpose or was that just coincidence? No, that's just that's just time marching on and yeah. uh, people getting with the program. And it's funny because it's 
the story it's about Kate but, I, but I, strangely I don't even say the word gay in the play it's just about her and us getting her, a visa for her and the referendum is, is, is funny because it's actually an entirely different issue the, the right yeah. for gay people to, to actually marry but it's funny the amount of people who go oh and the referendum was on and and then when you say to them, well, it's kind of actually a completely separate issue, mm. they go, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, so it is, yeah. But when you're tour, well, but when you're touring, uh, well, you've toured around the country, every small town. Well, well, you know, Wheelchair My Face, I did. We went to fifty venues. This this uh, show, I think, we're only going to thirty. Thirty. Thirty it's, venues, I think it's it is. Still quite a lot, though. I mean, still and, and it's, it's between now and December, and then we finish in the Soho Theatre in London for the whole mm. month of December. But when you, what I was going to ask, when you're going to these peripheral areas like uh, Letterkenny and yeah. and places like that, do you think it's a play like this plays more in their minds with the with the the referendum on? Is what I was. Uh, yeah, thinking. I think so, and it's particularly we did Donegal there um, uh, a couple of months ago or six weeks ago, and you know Donegal is a very special place now in people's hearts because they opened up the ten boxes in the morning and then they realised it was going to go through. And I think that's, you know, it's quite an iconic sort of position to hold. And so when we take the show there, um, it's funny, in certain places, we did two venues, Dunfanaghy and Letterkenny. And um, Letterkenny, the, the opening of the show, you can really feel people looking at each other to check to see if it's okay to laugh <laughs> at it. Because I think people are almost afraid to have a laugh at anything to do with gay or anything like that in the subject because it's it, it, in recent news there's such huge amounts of sensitivity about it that yeah. people go oh shit we can't laugh at this now be careful now we're in trouble and then they start to unwind they see other people laughing and we had an absolutely gorgeous show in Donegal um, and uh, yeah and then Dunfanaghy as well somebody came up to me somebody on the door and said oh you'll have a great time here they're all Protestants they're all very loose <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, good Lord, I didn't know there was a difference between how one town would receive it and another, but there you go. I think Ireland is ruled by perception in that way. Yeah. And do you think this, well, attitudes would have changed? Well, if you had tried to do this play 10 years ago, would you have gotten as good a well, reaction? Well, we wouldn't have been doing the play 10 years ago because I think 10 years ago, um, the Department of Immigration. I, I didn't acknowledge um, de facto relationships as gay relationships, so mm. I think you know that you know it wouldn't have happened at all. Probably, um, I think the more you advance, the faster you accelerate. And I think Irish society has changed at a pace of, particularly over the last three or four years, where it seems to be tumbling like a house of cards almost. Yeah. And I think it has, I think it has so much to do with everything else. When I went on the Savita Halaponavar. March. It felt like it was about her, but it was about everything. It was about kicking against theocracy, um, kicking against a, a perception of Ireland that people don't want to be associated with anymore. And I think, kind of, equal rights, gay rights, um, immigrant rights are all part of that um, per perception. And I, so I think, like ten years ago, Ireland was so different, and it's. It's it's almost like now we're going. We we are now a, a, a secular nation, you know, mm. um, where there are certain powers that don't have the right to um, govern your sexual identity or uh, sexual autonomy anymore in the way that they used to, you know. Mm. And that's happening so f very fast, very very fast. 
And you're playing in Paris. Are you looking forward to it? Anyway? Really looking forward to Paris. We bought the wheelchair my face and we had a great time. So oh. it's going to the Irish Coastal Centre in Paris. It's in the Latin Quarter. It, it's it it is it's it's up there on one of the busman's holidays kind of stops on the tour. Um, it'll it'll be really lovely. Um, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I I hope it'll I hope it'll be well received there. It'll be crack. You know, it'll be a lot of crack. Mm. And then of course we're like we go. I think the last t- stop in Ireland is the Axis in Ballymun. Yeah, we go from Paris to the Axis in Ballymun. <laughs> Jesus, um, from end to end. <laughs> yeah, just in case we've got any notions in ourselves, and then we go straight over to the Soho Theatre in London for all of December. Mm. So I'm looking. I think it'll be a nice Christmas show because it's a funny mm. show as well. So I think it'll be a nice Christmas show in in London for the Irish and, diaspora. And you've got a, quite a wide fan of areas you're visiting. I mean, you know, when you're road testing this sort of yeah. material, is some are some places the jokes just don't apply they don't land like immersions there is there's a reference to an immersion and Uh, in certain countries they don't have them they have them but they don't call them those things but it is um uh, it's one of those things that um it's just copper fastened to the irish psyche Um, and there's a couple of i always find if you talk about something in terms of euro or how much something costs in euro and you're not in a euro like when we were in edinburgh you can see people trying to do their maths in their mind. So very often I'll just say, "Oh, that's X amount of money in your language." You know, um, yeah. so you like everywhere I go, if to another country, you kind of go through the script and just go, "Okay, is there any trip hazards?" Sometimes it's good to make them make the reach. Like when, but when we were in America with wheelchair on my face in 2013, I, I reference um, trying to look at the stitches on my jumper and. This woman came up to me after the show and she wanted to know what happened about the suicides. Oh and I said, God. what suicide? And she goes, no, you, you were talking about a jumper. Um, <laughs> and so just, you forget that there are some words that just really, they, they just don't land. No, they they just mean totally different uh, things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I'm going to jump into something else completely here. You were on the Savage, eh? Yeah. Um, how did how did uh, what's he like? <laughs> what's he like? How how were you picked up for that? I was um, I was doing a gig in the international bar and up in the comedy in the thing upstairs and there's a little set of stairs which leads up to the toilet that all the comedians sit on before they go on. I was sitting there one night. I went on. I did ten minutes and a really lovely ten minutes. And Dave McSavage was sitting on the steps when I came out and he went, "Fucking you, give me your um, give me your number." And so I gave him a number and I chat with him. And um, then about two months later, I got a phone call from Blinder Films saying, "Would you were doing the sketch show? Would you be interested in coming in for a day just to play a nurse?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure." So I went in and I, um, uh, Dave was there, and you know, Dave is a, he's the interviews on the late late is not an act. You know, that is it. That is him. And yeah. I kind of grew up in a family with people like that, so. Being around people like David is a very normal thing for me. Um, so we got on very well, and then they brought me in the next week for something else. And I, I just got into this loop of playing useful people in scenes, I guess. Um, and and four series later, the, the, you know, I think they finished it up now. But it was just one of those times. I spent so long working in theatre and Druid and the gate and places. 
but it, the TV break came from sitting on the back stairs in the International Bar, um, which just goes to show that a career in theatre does not lead to a television career. Mm. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very proud of my association with the Savage Eye. I think they, I think he really tried to say something and speak to people through the comedy. Um, some of it's so funny. Some of it, some of it, I don't understand myself. <laughs> um, and uh, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm delighted. And I learned a lot about working in television from doing it because I had no experience before, mm. never stood in front of a camera before. So, um, what would you like to do more of television? Um, I think so. Like, I'd, I'd, um, I, I think I would like to. Um, it's very hard. Sometimes when you book a really long tour like this, mm. you end up... Um, <laughs> you end up just not being available so one or two things will come in do you want to do a day in a film and you're just not free because you're in Roscommon or whatever but I do a lot of pitching now for for TV companies and stuff and when I was in Edinburgh there was a couple of production companies that wanted to meet me in and talk about ideas and stuff like that so certainly the, the creation of it is, is something that interests me a lot and it's, and it's not as fleeting as theatre either it's not as fleeting no I guess yeah, there's an indelibility to it that yeah. um, but I think theatre's lack of indelibility has its charm as well. And I think live performance, maybe, pe- maybe people are tired of going to see plays with people knocking on doors and fake telephones and all those kind of things and wobbly walls. But theatre still have, theatre still exists and a new style of theatre is developing in Ireland that's less sort of paradigm based and archetypical. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a desire to see live performance. Um, and um, I, I think it's going to continue regardless of how digitised the world becomes. Yeah. You're going to come to Ballymun on the 27th of November. Yes, yeah, 27th Street. of November. Um, and, and so that's for any, any DCU heads who want to go to that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, please do come along. Um, it'll, it'll be fun. Ballymun is always a good... It's just it's like I brought Will on my face there and we, we did very well and... Um, I, I'm a firm believer. Like we're going to rough, we're going to tiny venues. We're going to huge venues, and I think it's important to 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 mix it up. And mm. like very often, companies just won't go somewhere because they don't think they won't get the audience. They don't get the crowd. I just don't think it's a reason not to go. I think it's more of a reason to go. Yeah. You know. Okay, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much for coming on. You're very welcome. You're very welcome, sir.